joining Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I'm your host, Jeremy Pinch, and with me today, I have Pastor John Schubert. And if you remember last week, Rick and I did a quick overview on the history of Calvinism, or what we would call the doctrines of grace. Uh, And we spent a majority of our time uh, talking about uh, point one, really, and that's radical depravity. But today we're going to spend our time uh, talking, discussing point number two, which would be unconditional election, what it is, uh, where it comes from, how we see it, uh, how we speak to our loved ones through it. Uh, So this morning, uh, John, I'm going to start off by asking, what do these two words mean, unconditional election? Well, um, when you put them together... You know, they're significant. When you keep them separate, it means, you know, (laughs) something different. (laughs) But uh, I'm I'm supposing you're meaning uh, when you put them together from a doctrinal standpoint. So I'm going to go with that. Um, What it means is there are simply no conditions to being chosen by God. Hmm. That's what unconditional election means. There are no conditions. And someone immediately will say, well... You got to believe, and I would say no, you don't. Hmm. God chooses us; He draws us to Himself before we believe. In fact, belief is a um, response to electing grace. The Bible tells us that that we respond to grace through our belief. Hmm. Um, You must be born from above, Jesus told Nicodemus. Um, before you can see the kingdom of God. And so there's this important, you know, divine activity that takes place in the life of every believer that God initiates. He comes to us, he draws us, and then the gospel begins to look good. Mm. And so unconditional election means simply that there are no conditions to God choosing us. He doesn't choose you based on your belief. He doesn't choose you based on your race. He doesn't choose you based on your income or your religion. He chooses you based on his own un, uh, you know, uninfluenced will. He, he, in his own wisdom, and we don't know what that's all, what that all includes, but in his own wisdom, God is not influenced by anything outside of himself when he chooses who he chooses. Mm. So it's not based on belief. It's not based on anything. It's based on God's choice, unconditional election. Mm. Yeah, that seems, it seems so contrary to uh, many other belief systems. You know, when we look at different religions and even different sects of Christianity, if you will. So how is how is the condition of our salvation uh, contrary to many other belief systems? Well, you know, if the, the, the other systems that, uh, belief systems that are out there, um, I think to, to the nth degree, all of them are works salvation. They have to do something to gain God's favor. They have to believe something, say something, give something, serve somewhere. There's always a connection. There's always a, 
a requirement um, in order to experience the grace of God. <clears throat> you know, even even the the uh, the Jews, uh, even though Judaism, Old Testament Judaism, was based on grace. And by the way, the only way that it's you've we've ever been able to access God is through grace, even in Old Testament um, Jewish religion. If you remember the uh, Numbers 21, looking at the bronze serpent, mm-hmm. um, it was simply look. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no nothing you can do, just look. And that was the essence of their Old Testament religion. Um, they, they depended completely on God's forgiveness and grace through the sacrificial system. So, uh, you know, we have all sorts of religions in the world, but they're all based on performance of some kind or another. And Christianity is not. Mm. Christianity is totally and only, solely up to God mm. on um, those who experience salvation. So, can, uh, not to get off subject, because we're still on subject, <laughs> yeah. but can can Christianity become that way? Well, not true Christianity. Okay. I mean, I suppose you can be, you know, you know, taken off track as a Christian on, on what it is that, that pleases God, what it is that, that garners his favor. I suppose that can happen, but true Christianity is based solely on the grace of God. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and even that faith is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, so that no one can boast. Mm. So there's no works involved in true Christianity. I mean, I'm, there is all sorts of Christians who think that they can, you know, impress God with their works, with their devotions, with their Bible reading, with their giving. But that's all faulty thinking. Mm-hmm. But true Christianity, biblical Christianity, is only on grace, by grace, through, you know, the mercy of God. You know, let me, let me read it for you, uh, just in case it might be helpful. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul, you know, is arguing his um, salvation by grace alone with the Galatian believers. They've been deceived, taken off track, And so Paul wants to bring them back, and he says in chapter 2, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified, okay? They're not made right with God by works of the law. Hmm. But through faith in Jesus Christ's works, (laughs) what he's done, believing that what he's done accomplished it for me, like his perfection, his sacrifice on Calvary. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Mm. So there's the, there's the centerpiece of what we believe. It's not by works, not by things you can do to impress God. It's by his grace yeah. through faith in his work for us in Christ. Yeah. Mm. So that's, I think that's important stuff. And that's the center of, of uh, this unconditional election conversation. So, uh, as you as you mentioned, there can be people in uh, different religions, maybe, or just uh, in in day to day life uh, that say, "Well, yeah, I I'm going to go to heaven 
you know, if you ask him, you know, why, why should you go to heaven? I'm going to heaven because of, you know, I'm nice to my neighbor or I walk my friend's dog once a week. You know, I, I haven't murdered anybody. I Good works. I haven't done that right. stuff, right? right. So uh, how does how does unconditional election, how does, how does that idea um, thwart that thinking, first of all, and then how does it give glory to God alone and not to ourselves? Well, it, it, uh, unconditional election, um, if you understand it, pulls the rug out from underneath any works salvation because you're not elected conditionally. You're not chosen, you're not saved conditionally. Right. You're not saved because you walked your neighbor's dog or you attended church so many times or whatever, fill in the blank. You're saved because of his mercy. I mean, and, you know, there's tons of scriptures that talk about that. One of my favorite I, I have as a screensaver uh, on my computer, it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse... 30 and 31 verses 30 and 31 I'm going to turn there and read it for you it says and because of him you are in Christ Jesus because of God you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that it is written let no one let the one who boasts boast in the Lord so it's because of what God has done for us in Christ that we're saved so who gets the glory for that God does because it's because of him we're in Christ. If I were to be saved and get to heaven because of my works, then I get the glory. Mm -hmm. But the doctrine of unconditional election gives only allows the glory to go to God because he's the one who elects, not not me, not by what I've done. I can't work my way there. I can't, you know, what's, what God isn't going to have is, you know, a bunch of people up in heaven comparing notes on how they got there. Sure. You know, that's... That doesn't bring glory to God. Um, you know, you look at Ephesians chapter 1 also. It's just full of these things. Let me turn there for you real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, one of our favorite passages of all time. And it's, it's just, uh, for the glory of his grace, for the glory of his grace, to the praise of his glorious grace. Yeah. Over and over and over, Paul says this in that chapter. The, the reason that we have... Um, glory going to God is because he did it. Mm-hmm. As soon as we play a role in that, in our salvation, the, we diminish God's glory. You know, if it, if it is mono, you know, uh, if, instead of being some kind of a, a, a joint effort, then we've got, we've got a problem. Yep. We, we've got to have uh, a mono savior. You know, we're not we're not joining God in the our salvation process at all. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this here. Just read a few verses for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Ephesians one, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing um, in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of, of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. It just, it just Paul just keeps going on and on and on uh, about the importance of God receiving the glory for our salvation. Um, you know, that's just, you know, let me read another one for you in case that hasn't convinced you. Um, Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this. <clears throat> I'll start with verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, that is, the God of heaven, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So all the glory goes to God. Hmm. That is the centerpiece of our belief system. Hmm. And I, th I think that's, that is what keeps us on track doctrinally, theologically. Um, whenever we start, you know, taking bits and pieces of God's work of grace to our own side of the equation, it diminishes the glory of God. And so we're, we're, we protect that area. It's, it's God who saved me, God who drew me. Not only did he create me, he saved me. Yeah. So those are really important things. Well, yeah, and I think when we look back at the aspect of, you know, radical depravity and seeing that we, you know, as, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, that you are dead in your trespasses and sins, I think that puts, that shines light on our condition, right? That's, our hopeless condition. That's our hopeless condition. That's who we are. So right. if that's who we are, there's there's no way we can bring a dead person back to life. Right. And the same thing is spiritually. So it's it's God who has to do the work. Exactly. That was the point of John of John 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Right. That was the whole reason he did that, yeah. was to demonstrate that salvation is from the Lord. Hmm. You know, Jonah said that, salvation is from the Lord. Uh, Jesus illustrated that by raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is the one who went to the dead man. Yeah. Lazarus was dead four days. I mean, yeah. he was gone. Yeah. Um, decaying already. And God said, Lazarus, come forth. Yeah. And it's the same way with each of us. God must call us. God must draw us. God must give us new life. He must, you know, give us a new heart so that our spiritual blood starts pumping and our lungs start breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise we remain dead in our sins and dead in our trespasses without hope in a godless world. Yeah. So yeah, it's all of God. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. Well, and that is exactly right, Jeremy. Yeah. Praise God, because in our lifeless, dead condition that we're born in, there's no hope. Yeah. If it were left up to us, you know, to hope in God, we would be utterly lost. Yeah. And, you know, people complain about the fairness of this whole thing. You know, it's not fair that God chooses. Well, is it more fair that you would choose? What about those who aren't born in America who never hear the gospel? What about those who are born in horrible homes in America that never hear the gospel? It's not fair. Yeah. 
but we we leave this with God because He is just, He is fair, yeah. and He is the one who, you know, is responsible for all these things, not us. Yeah. So, it's the fairest way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Let the Creator decide. Yeah. Yeah. This is His universe. And that's, I mean, that's that was Paul's point in in Romans nine. Yeah, right. He he's yeah. the Potter. <laughs> yeah, he gets to do what he wants, yeah. and and as much as we may think that's unfair, uh, do you have a better idea? Yeah, no. You know, does anybody? <laughs> well, no, of course not. Well, and I think it, this gives us this gives us hope as as believers is there is there is no hopeless case on earth right there's there's nobody that that can't hear the gospel we believe anybody can be saved yeah you know we believe that the worst of sinners can be saved and paul was thankful for that he called himself the worst of sinners yeah and he experienced the grace of god yeah so yeah we don't have any friends any family members anybody that's outside the reach of god's grace yeah you know we may think oh man so and so is hopeless but when the, when it comes to the grace of God, He can save anybody, yeah. and He does. Yeah. So yeah, really good news. Yeah, that's awesome. So I uh, I uh, read a, a tweet um, about a year ago. So that was it was it was revelatory to me, and it was something along the lines of you know the doctrine of Calvinism should make those who believe this Calvinist doctrine, the most humble of Christians. You know, if we, if we truly believe what Calvinism teaches, we should be the most humble of Christians because we understand who we are before Mm -hmm. Christ Mm -hmm. and what Christ accomplishes for us. But it, it seems like, it seems like there's this stigma around maybe, uh, new Calvinists and, and even those who have been Calvinists for a while that they're, they're pushy. Uh, they can be rude. Um, and not humble, but how do we, as as Calvinists, looking at Scripture, looking at, at what Christ did? I mean, Philippians two, Christ humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we become humble and humbly present the gospel um, to other people, and, and and be humble in in our discussion with other Christians about what we believe about yeah. the doctrines of grace? Yeah. Well. Um, you said something that I think I'm going to emphasize here, and that is that the longer you're a Calvinist, the more humble you become. Mm-hmm. I think that um, new Calvinists, um, young Calvinists, are enamored with the power of the doctrine. It is a powerful doctrine, mm-hmm. and it's all over Scripture. You can't escape it. Um, and and I, I don't, you know, I don't think this is the 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 venue to get into a discussion about, you know, the rightness or wrongness of Calvinism versus anything else. But <clears throat> uh, if you truly understand Calvinism, it smashes any pride. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really puts us in our place, starting with just the first one, mm-hmm. radical depravity. Are you kidding me? There's nothing in us that is saving, savable, saving, worth saving, not so much that, but we're, 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 we've been infected by sin in every area of our lives, right. radically. Right. Um, we are completely unable to do anything about it. Well, we might be able to you know, buy a self-help book and get better, 
at, you know, relating to people. But in terms of, of impressing God to the point of saying, hey, well, this guy's good enough to save, that is impossible. Right. The only thing that can save us is the grace or a God of grace, a God of mercy. And so that is humbling to the core. There is nothing, friend, that you can do that will impress God enough to grant you salvation um, because of what you do. So I think bottom line is if you know Calvinism well enough, you're humble. If you if you superficially understand it, if you you know enter into Calvinism academically and remain there academically because of the the um, volume of of evidence in the scriptures to support Calvinism, then then you do come across as arrogant. Um, you do come across as um, rude, and you are hard to get along with. Um, which, by the way, I think most Calvinists begin there. Mm. And so the longer I've been a Calvinist, the less I want to argue about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more thankful I am for, for God's grace towards me. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think as Christians we ought to be dividing over um, these things. I, I know that the Reformers and, and the early Puritans, they... You know they they fought to the death over these things. Literally, they yeah. they were being killed for their beliefs in these areas. And so, I don't think we should return to that. That was a dark uh, age in church history in terms of you know the fighting that took place over doctrine. But it is an important doctrine because it brings glory to God. It puts God in His place, His His right place. Um, not that he needs our help, but in terms of our own view of him, it really establishes the the supremacy of God in all things, Right. this doctrine. Right. And so knowing these doctrines as we should um, will do the opposite of bringing pride and arrogance. It will yeah. humble us, yeah. and we will, we will be thankful people, gracious people, even with those who disagree with us. Um, So I'm very hesitant any longer. I used to be more willing to, to argue and debate about these things. I'm, I, I don't really want to do that anymore. I don't think that accomplishes too much. Um, You know, I, I believe what I believe. And I think that the Bible is (laughs) overwhelmingly supportive of that doctrine, the doctrines of grace. Um, but to get into a confrontation with another believer who believes something a little differently than me, I'm, I'm <laughs> not yeah. going to go there. Yeah, and you know? and and you're not saying that we shouldn't be bold in proclaiming what we believe, but we shouldn't be argumentative in how we how we present it, it being rude and 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 well, I mean, arrogant. If people you know can I mean. hear the people can hear the gospel without us going through the five points of Calvinism. Sure, absolutely. So I don't know what you mean by bold and presenting what we believe. I think we should be bold in presenting the gospel. Sure. Bold in presenting the love of God in Christ sure. for any who will believe. Sure. So um, that's what I think. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yeah. Um, these doctrines of grace, you know, have are they're, they're an interesting 
uh, doctrine. They're interesting doctrines because they're they're foundational, and yet people don't have to know them to become saved. Right. In fact, I don't know too many who did know do or did know them right. before they became saved. Right. I mean, some of these, you know, like you read some of the Puritans, like you know Owen and others who went through all this, you know, religious and uh, theological education, and then realized they weren't saved. So very few people really understand the doctrines of grace before they're saved. It's after you get saved, you start thinking about these things. You start thinking, well, why why did the gospel become attractive to me? It never used to be. I thought it was ridiculous. In fact, yeah, how'd that happen? Well, that's when you start thinking about doctrines of grace. How, How did this begin in my own experience? And if you are thoughtful and trace it, to its origins, you discover that it's God. God did a work. God, the initiator, God gets the glory. We're just grateful human beings. So, yeah, I I really don't think that we need to spend a lot of time defending biblical theology as as J.I. Packer (laughs) identified it. Um, He wrote a great introduction to the death of death and the death of Christ, um, which was John's Owen's um, monumental thesis on the doctrines of grace. Packer wrote the introduction to a newer version of that that um, book, and in there, Packer basically called the doctrines of grace, or he called Calvinism, biblical theology. Mm. So, you know, we we should know biblical theology, but but I'm I'm not certain what we gain by arguing the doctrines of grace, right. even with other Christians who may disagree with us. Right. So right. Um, I don't think we should waver on what we believe. I just don't think we should get in a fistfight over it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're called to called to be humble as Christ was humble. We are. We're called to love the brothers, called to be patient and kind. And, you know, there's, of course, we're, supposed to know the scriptures and to understand um, God and his love for us. And we think here at Sun Valley Church that that includes the doctrines of grace, you know, this radical depravity idea and this unconditional election and the other three that I'm sure you're going to cover. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not opposed to knowing these things and and being able to defend them, but to bring them up so that we can argue is, in my opinion, a waste of time. Yeah pointless yeah yeah well friends i'm gonna i'm gonna leave you with this passage uh one that we are well aware of but one that is so beautiful and true and it's ephesians 2 it says and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind so there's a radical depravity and then here we come to the unconditional election but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 That's all we need to say. That's all we need to say. <laughs> Church, we love you. We look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.